0: Hello, friends, and welcome back to the Bikes or Death podcast. My name is Patrick, and I am your host. And on today's episode, I caught up with a couple East Texas Showdown participants in Austin. Got a chance to chat with Kyle Gilbert and Nick Yarborough at the same time. Uh, They're at Kyle's workshop in Austin. I actually took a little podcasting trip to austin and interviewed five people in less than 20 hours i think Um, i interviewed these gentlemen on wednesday night and then the next day i interviewed katie mcguire and alicia dans and hannah simmons uh the next day so you're going to be getting a lot of east texas showdown goodness in your podcasting feed for the next little bit and while we're talking about the east texas showdown Um, Let me just give you a little report. It was in every way I could imagine a huge success except for the weather, but everybody who did the race luckily did not blame me for the weather. I was carrying a ton of guilt about it, but (laughs) like I was worried that people were going to punch me when they saw me, but that wasn't the case in fact cal gilbert on the podcast today when he got done he gave me a hug and told me it was great and uh thanked me in fact that was a sentiment that uh, many people expressed throughout the weekend i was really worried about the rain but everybody kept in good spirits and kept the attitude of hey i signed up for it and they also realized that i don't control the weather and no one held that against me But fortunately, the rain cleared up about 3 p.m., 3 or 4 p.m. on day one, and the rest of the weekend was absolutely perfect weather conditions. The roads were a little bit more wet, but on all, not too bad. The biggest victims, really, of the race were brake pads and electronics, but the riders themselves did fantastic. My biggest goal and singular most priority was safety and it's really difficult to find remote and safe routes that are away from people in texas because as i've mentioned before we're just sprawled out everywhere no public lands or very little so people can go wherever they want and they've kind of just spread out you know, On the route, there's some connectors that are not ideal, but overall, everybody came away with really positive feedback about the route. One of the things I was wondering is if we should change it, and emphatically, everybody said no. Well, everybody except for one person. I did get one person that said to take out the sand. I don't know how I'm going to take the sand out, <laughs> but... <laughs> I'll work on that. But other than that everybody else said keep it the same um and honestly the some of the highlights for me was seeing everybody come back to the Bullet Grill afterwards as Saturday went into Sunday more and more people started to gather at the Bullet Grill and share their stories and share a beer and a meal and as people would come in we would have larger crowds of people there to cheer them on you know part of this route if you're on the showdown version there's what i'm now calling the death loop which is the last 40 miles and essentially what you'll do is at mile 320 ride right past the bullet grill right where the beer is and the burger is and your car is and all your friends are Um, and you have to make the decision to keep on going for the last 40 miles or call it quits um, some people definitely did call it quits there at the bullet. And, you know, so us as fans, we got to stand there on the side of the road and wait for them to come in. We'd all watch the dots and see when they would come in and go out there and cheer them on and try to encourage them to keep going. But I'll tell you what, man, whenever uh, whenever someone was done, they were done and there was no convincing them to keep going, which was totally fine, too. A big focus of this event was to not really focus only on the racing aspect. As certainly, if somebody goes fast and really guts themselves to put in a big time and a big effort, we're going to obviously celebrate that. But I really wanted to celebrate everybody who even showed up on the starting line. And I said this um, to the racers at at that time on on Sunday night, but reiterated here that You know, I consider it a victory of sorts to even show up for an event like this, to train for it, to commit to doing it, to waking up at, you know, four or five o'clock in the morning and it is just absolutely pouring down rain and just getting after it. You know, regardless of the outcome, the fact that people made it that far, um, I commend them and I'm sure that they will learn something from that and they'll come back better next time. And even if you went fast, you're gonna learn something and, and come back netter, net, better next time. And that's kind of the point and the reason for celebrating everybody because we're all on a journey. And it doesn't matter if you're just starting or if you've been doing it a while, it's important to you know take everything in stride, I guess. And, and I really, I do believe that and want um, people that show up to one of my events, regardless of how they place, to feel like they did something really cool. While most people were sitting at home on their couch, maybe watching a dot or a football game or whatever, you know, you were lining up toe to toe with um, some really amazing people to take on something truly challenging, truly physically, mentally hard. And a lot of people are too scared to even try. So kudos to everybody who showed up to the event. And actually, on that note, we sent out a exit survey to um, all the participants. And uh, we're going to be releasing the results from that survey. Uh, But I can tell you that so far, out of the people who have answered, 25% of them did the east texas showdown as their first bikepacking trip ever and 90 percent of the participants did this as their first bikepacking race ever uh, which to me is a huge win with creating some shorter routes you know quote unquote shorter of these bikepacking routes one being 280 miles and the And then a 380 mile option. It would hopefully attract people that are wanting to try something like this for the first time. You know, I mean, we've all seen the epic stories and coverage of, you know, people doing amazing things all over the world on some truly epic terrain and trails. Um, But the reality is, is that those events are not always practical for everybody. And so there needs to be opportunities to kind of introduce more people to bikepacking, bikepacking, racing, ultra endurance, or just endurance cycling. And so, yeah, that was a huge focus for the East Texas showdown and slowdown routes. So the fact that we had so many first timers is, is perfect. I'm really stoked on that. And um, we had some really fast people show up. Um, Andrew Honorma was absolutely smashing it off the front. Um, unfortunately, he had to DNF or he had to D- DQ. He was disqualified because his Wahoo froze for like 20 miles on a straightaway, and he just went straight when he was supposed to turn. And anyway, un- unfortunately, he uh, was one of the people who... Uh, were victimized by the rain with their electronics. He spent, I think, a good four or five hours in a hotel trying to dry out his phone so it would charge and trying to get his Wahoo working and, and all this kind of stuff. And then um, it was actually kind of cool to see because, uh, well, that part wasn't cool, but once he got going again, he actually caught back up to the race leaders. So he was just on a tear, tear man. He was feeling good. He was in a good mood. And uh, he was he was going to lay down a pretty quick time. So in the future, it's going to be fun. I mean, Andrew and I were talking at the event about how, how it's cool to bring all these different sectors of the same community together. And, um, and I hope that the event will turn into that where we can get some people there that are just wanting to not sleep and go super fast and knock it out in really short order and um and other people who are looking to maybe just go on their bi- first bikepacking trip and don't even really care about the time and one thing we're going to do is find ways to incorporate everybody in the race if they want to participate in different ways so for example we may do a competition where there's a prize for the best photography on route so uh or best dressed or heaviest bike or who knows we're gonna come up with some fun some fun prizes and fun ways to approach a bike packing event so that yeah if you want to go fast if you want to you know absolutely gut yourself and see what you can do the opportunity to do it is there but if you want to go pro slow if you want to get on that slowdown route, take some pictures, take your time, maybe the best coffee setup. That would be an, inter- an interesting one. Who had the most dialed coffee setup for the bike packing event? I like that one. I think, I think that one could be a winner. So, um, anyway, those are just some ideas. Oh, and I almost forgot to say due to popular demand a lot of people requested that i do a spring edition of this race and um we're gonna do it Uh, the route is there the venue's there bullet grill is 100 percent down to do it so a lot of things are already in place it's not going to be as complicated to put together because hey i've done it now i'm a professional right so how hard can it be to do it again Uh, we're working on spring dates. I don't want to say exactly. I think I know the date. Um, if you go on Instagram, you can probably find it, but we are going to be announcing that very, very, very soon. Um, so get ready for that. All right. Well, I think that's enough about the East Texas showdown for me. I wanted to give you a little recap of the event and what to expect going forward. But like I said, we've got a lot of good podcasts coming up about the East Texas Showdown, so you'll be hearing plenty about it from the participants themselves. But before we get to today's episode, let's take a moment to give a huge shout, shout out to our newest patrons. This week, we have Ryan Can, Michaela Koch, Paul Lynchenauer, Edward Anderson, Nicholas Campbell, Andy Simmons, and Anderson Simmons. And I think they're different people because they have different email addresses. Uh, But what are the odds of that? Andy Simmons and Anderson Simmons. I really appreciate uh, all of y'all stepping up to help keep the lights on over here at the podcasting studios. Thank y'all so much for stepping up to be sustaining members of the Bikes for Death podcast. I really can't do it without your support. It means more than you know. So if you are enjoying these episodes and you'd like to help keep them showing up in your podcast feed, you can find out how over at patreon.com forward slash bikes or death. Now, today's episode is also brought to us by Kuat. Kuat makes bike racks, if you didn't know. They're the bike rack that I've been using for many years now. I'm actually an ambassador for Kuat. Shout out it's not really that complicated. They make a really good rack and they have a really great customer service department that absolutely takes care of their customers and I can vouch for that 100%. They just released a brand new rack called the Piston Pro X. If you haven't seen it, I highly recommend you Head over to their website. It's kuat.com. That's K-U-A-T.com. And feast your eyes on that Piston Pro X. It's got integrated lights. It's actually pretty sick. So if the rack is down or up, It is integrated with your car's electrical system. So if you're blinking or stopping, it's going to let the people know behind you, which I think is an absolutely great safety feature. I am sure that you can relate to having, you know, stopping very quickly and looking in your rear view mirror, just hoping and praying that the person behind you stops and doesn't smash into your XXXXX dollar bike. It's an absolutely beautiful looking rack, well-made rack. We don't talk about racks a whole lot, but we spend a lot of money on our bikes. We love our bikes. We want our bikes to get where they're going safely. And I highly recommend a good rack to transport your bike wherever you're going. I was thinking about on the Sarah Swallow episode, if y'all will remember how she was headed to the Tour Divide and her bike flew off the bike rack, broke her bike, and she had to scramble at the last minute to get someone to repair her carbon frame, et cetera, et cetera. So I really do see the value in a good rack so that your bike doesn't fly off the back of your vehicle and for many other reasons, So if you are looking for a rack or needing to upgrade your bike rack game, think about Kuat because you love your bike. Okay. And before we get to the East Texas showdown, I've got Matt Mason here to talk to us about an event that he has coming up in New Mexico. It's part bikepacking summit and part race. So Matt, yeah. What do you got going on with the uh, New Mexico bikepacking summit?
1: Yeah, this is the first time we've ever done it, so it's kind of all just taking shape right now. It'll be the day before the Danger Bird, October 22nd, uh, sort of all day we'll have stuff going on. And we're just inviting people from all over to come and sort of look in on what's going on in New Mexico with New Mexico makers, you know, bike builders, people making frame bags, sort of checking that out in the morning. Um, And then in the afternoon, we're going to switch over to sort of like... A little, not necessarily what you'd think of when you think of bikepacking summit, maybe. Uh, a little bit talking about sort of building the New Mexico Bikepacking Network, which sort of expands on the work we've done on the monumental loop, takes it to a state level, and then a little more about like equity in the outdoors and sort of building a more inclusive space in the bikepacking world. So.
0: Yeah, man, I dig it. Now, we did an entire episode pretty much about the Monumental Loop, which is the route that the Danger Bird is held on. And one thing I, I really liked whenever I was talking to you about it is you said, it's not a race, it's an event. So what what can you tell us
1: about the Danger Bird? That's a good good word, place to start. It's not a race, and it's not even something that has any limitations on you at all. It's a, like a group start in like the most basic sense of we do give you the route, but if you want to ride for one day and go home or take a shortcut or dope or do, you know, there's no limitations on what you can do. If you want to draft your friends and have a big team come down, if you want to run, you don't even need to bring your bike. If you want to run the route, run the route. So we kind of want people to bring whatever part of cycling excites them to the route and just sort of match it up and see how it goes. It's more a bike packing meeting and party than it is an event and or a race, I guess I should say. And we forgot to mention that
0: I'm going to be in Las Cruces as well for Bikes or Death, covering the event and, and I think doing a live podcast maybe. Is that happening?
1: That's what I would like to have happen. Yeah. And I hope, I think it will. Um, have you and Shell sit down, Shell Money, sit down and do a little podcast. He's a local bike builder and that sort of sells him short to say he's a bike builder, but he's kind of a genius, I think. But I think it'll be fun. Shell's super entertaining. And, you know, he's like, because he's local, I think some other people will want to stand around and heckle y'all.
0: Right on, dude. Well, I can't wait to see what y'all put together. So if people want to like check it out, find out more information, how can they do that?
1: It'd be cool if we had a website. Uh, for now, it's Instagram and Facebook. And, you know, don't hesitate to message me. If you see my phone number or my email somewhere, shoot me a message or call outdoor adventures the local bike shop that I'm kind of working with to get this organized what's your Instagram it's monumental loop there might be a dot or an underscore or something in there <laughs> <laughs> monumental something loop there I think it's an underscore I don't
0: I think it's an underscore yeah yeah that
1: sounds that sounds right
0: you're the best Matt awesome man well I can't wait to see you out there and uh, yeah thanks for coming on the show to talk about it a little bit
1: yeah thanks for having me
0: All right, everybody, that's it. Let's have Miles Arbor take it away with the Bikes or Death theme song. You load up your bike, you ride
2: away from home. You could be with your friends or you could be alone. You ride for a day or maybe more. You just love being in the great outdoors. Everything you need is strapped to your bars, including that new pillow you got from Santa Claus. And then you think... Oh shit to yourself. You left that super lightweight tent on the living room shelf. Bikes. Oh death. bikes. Oh, 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 death.
0: Podcast. All right, so who do we got here? Kyle? You
3: go. Kyle first. Gilbert. Um
0: are you from, from are you from Austin? From Austin.
3: Yeah. Yep. I'm twenty-five. And I grew up in Pflugerville, technically, which is just north of Austin, but Smaller town, now bigger. But
0: where are we right now?
3: We are in Austin um, at my work at Brian Chilton Design. Uh, I'm a welder, fabricator, and I ride bikes. <laughs> when I'm not doing that most <laughs> of the time. So yeah.
0: Yeah, I wanted to give a shout out to uh, what is, is it? Brad Chilton, Brian, Brian Chilton yeah. Designs. This is a pretty dope uh, place, and I appreciate them letting us use it but we're surrounded by um what do you call these live edge yeah these are tables
3: uh, white oak slabs i guess you could say yeah lots of wood lots of wood they're gonna be a big conference table eventually
0: are you ever gonna make bikes with your welding skills you think
3: yeah I've, i've done a little bit of trial and error on some bike tubing some some drop pieces from a local frame builder and it's gone well but i don't really it's hard to come back into work and do things similar to work when all you want to do is like not do work so <laughs> it's hard to get in here and do those things but um, I have aspirations to get it done someday maybe a double bike maybe like a full tied double bike could you imagine
0: why don't we do this I'll just bankroll you we'll start the bikes for death custom bike company and I'm so in. Huh? Full,
3: full bike packing rigs yeah
0: how much does it cost to start a bike company sure because you know how much I have. <laughs> <Is that enough?
3: laughs> I think we can make it work. One way or another, small shop, yeah, it, can, it could happen. Oh, enough man.
0: equipment. What about you, Nick?
4: Uh, Nick Ibata. Um
0: Not from Austin. Do I'm you go
4: by Nick, actually? Or yeah, Nicholas? totally. Okay. The only people who call me Nicholas is like my grandma.
0: Whenever I tried to look up your registration under Nick, it was like, error. There is nobody by <laughs> Nick.
4: <laughs> no, yeah. Everyone calls me Nick. Uh I've lived in Austin for 20 years. This is home, but I'm from Corpus Christi originally, Uh, down by the coast. Yeah, just mostly I ride bikes all the time. My office is way less cool than this. I work, uh, I'm I'm a lawyer, so when I'm not riding bikes, I'm just shuffling papers around. Um, Whoa, a lawyer? Yeah. Bro, what kind of lawyer? (laughs) Uh, the kind who it's not like law and order. It's like I never see the
0: inside of a courtroom. Uh like I, I watch Law and Order. <laughs> dude,
4: I watch the I'm hell done. out of it.
0: <laughs> I'm sure I did back in the day. Yeah, no,
4: it's pretty dry stuff, but I like my job. It, it allows me plenty of time to ride my bikes, which is my passion basically.
0: Yeah. I wanna ask y'all like what kind of riding y'all do around Austin. I mean, you're on a is that a riv? Yeah, that's my other RIV. I
4: rode a RIV on the Showdown. I have two. My other one, which is right behind me, is my commuter. I do probably like 90% of my riding on that bike, actually. It's got some real sweet Albatross swept back bars. Um,
0: yeah, it's, it's wonderful. Love that bike. So what kind of riding do you, do you do? And even maybe talk about what kind of riding you did to train around Austin for, yeah. uh, for the event.
4: I do most kinds of riding, like I've got three or four weekly rides um, that I usually do every week. So Kyle and I usually do Tuesday, this ride, this local ride called the Teardown, which is a hill ride, just a bunch of steep hills around town. Um, Road? uh, Yeah, road, all on pavement, um, just really fast, punchy climbs.
0: Is that like the hills that here There's a race that's like 100 miles, the Hilga. The Hugel. The, the Hugel. Oh, yeah. It's like a very small version of that. Okay. Uh, so, yeah, for people who don't know, Austin has some ex- very steep. I mean, you'll probably give me some grading here, but pretty pretty steep climbs. Yeah, we're known for like 20%-ish uh,
4: gradient climbs that are pretty short. And that's generally what we hit up on Tuesdays. And that was cool training for the showdown, actually. There were some definite, good little sh- steep pitches on that one, and then Thursday there's a mountain bike ride every week um, we called the shop ride, and which shop? Uh, East Side Pedal Pushers is where it starts.
0: I interviewed Jessica Alexander outside of East Side Pedal okay. Pushers. Okay. Cool.
4: Yeah, not too long ago.
0: It's a great shop. Yeah. G- uh, GP. GP, Yeah,
4: GP works there. It's owned by Lee Gresham, who's a, a dear friend. Uh, everyone who works there is awesome human beings. Highly recommend that place. And then, yeah, usually try to get in at least one ride on the weekend, if not two. Basically, what I did to train for Showdown was like just ride twice as much as I normally do. So instead of one ride every weekend or one long ride, I would do two and just try to stick in another ride during the week. Like I have a nine-to-five job. I don't have a lot of time to train outside of work. So it was just kind of like fit it in where you can. About a month and a half before the showdown, I'd I'd gone on a bike tour for two weeks in Vermont. So I kind of had like a good base level of fitness coming back from that. And it was pretty similar. It was like mixed terrain, road, gravel,
0: it sounds like yeah, uh, you would you would be spoiled by the time you got back to Texas on the weather. That might like untrain you. Going to like a nice environment like that and having to get reacclimated to Texas weather might be like counterproductive.
4: I find that like, I, you know, I've lived in Texas my whole life. Uh, at this point, I have to get out during the summer at least once because it's just too much to like deal with, you know, triple digit temperatures for two months at a time. Yeah, So I generally try to go north and ride my bike for a little while. And um, the timing worked out this year to where, yeah, I got back and had some good fitness. And basically it was like, okay, I can't drink it away before the showdown. (laughs) And uh, yeah, so I just rode a ton in between getting back and the showdown. Yeah, Yeah. Worked out pretty well.
0: I like that you said, uh, you know, you have a nine to five and don't have a lot of time to train, which was a big motivator for me is appealing to people that, don't have as much time either away from work to be able to do a long event or to train or whatever it is. I mean, those big events, they take a lot of time, energy, money to to do. And I don't know if y'all saw the write-up that came out on bikepacking.com today, but almost every single person that placed was a first-time bikepacker. Did y'all see that? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. We're going to do an exit survey of all the riders and just get feedback on all kinds of stuff. But one of the things I'm interested in is... You know, was this your first event? Yeah. Because so many people were there for the very first time, which was really cool.
4: Yeah. Um, It was my first event, definitely. Same. I had done a bunch of bike touring, but I had no idea, like, what this would feel like or, like, how I would react to, like, riding for 19 hours and then sleeping for, you know, three or four and then getting up and riding again or, like, how to prepare for that, really. Um, Just kind of tried it. It was different and uh, really, really fun, actually.
0: Why even sign up? What was your motivation to sign up? I just saw my friends were all signed up, so I did too, honestly. <laughs> like That's a good uh, reason. Yeah, by the time I, it
4: popped up on my radar, there were like eight of my friends signed up, and I was like, oh, cool. And it was already full, actually, so I was like, I'll be on the wait list. And like, if I get in, I get in. If I don't, no big deal. And then I got in. Actually, I got the email right when I got back from Vermont. And I was like, oh, cool, I've got this fitness. And I texted like my four good friends who were in it. And I was like, you guys are going to do this, right? And they're like, no, we're all pulling out. And I was like, (laughs) cool. Um, But there's shout shout out,
2: out,
0: Aaron.
4: uh, Shout out, uh, Ian, Spencer, Jack, and other Nick. Uh, Thanks, guys. (laughs) Um, But uh, hey, they missed out. Yeah, no, they missed out completely. It was super fun. Still got to roll with a super tight Austin crew met a bunch of like super cool people on the ride and like after and before. So yeah, it was awesome.
0: Right on, dude. All right, Kyle. What about you? How did you train for the event and uh in general, what kind of riding do you like? You're a Austin local and yeah you know, native. So what kind of riding do you like to do around here?
3: Um a lot of road riding. There isn't so much gravel immediate from Austin. So you have to travel like thirty minutes to Lockhart or even farther west to get some like really good like more gravel.
0: Fredericksburg Cast Castell.
3: Castel, Castel, yeah, there's a there's a gravel grinder out there every year. That's pretty fun. But yeah, a lot of road. I find myself doing like big rides on Sundays where we go out and do almost like a mini Das Hugel will do like 70 miles of like a lot of hills. So I found my confidence kind of in that. And I'm also a pedicab driver sometimes. <laughs> so going late into the night was nothing new. So I figured I could ride the whole thing without sleeping, but that wasn't really the case. I had to get some sleep, but I also f- do a lot of not a lot, probably twice a month, I'll do a century by myself, so those are really fun. Kind of like got something from that. I did my first century like probably at the beginning of the summer, which probably wasn't the best time to do and try my first century, but I just went out I did I went for like eighty seven miles and then I got to ninety and I was like, you know, that's really close to a <laughs> hundred. so I like grueled my way through a hundred and that was really cool and. I went home and laid on the ground and just kind of felt like how I felt after a hundred miles. And then I stepped it up a little bit and did like 120. And then I kept going on like those Westlake rides where we'd go do a bunch of miles. And then I signed up for the race, but I got convinced probably a month before the race actually happened to not work and actually go and work, do this race for a weekend. And yeah,
0: who convinced you? Alicia, <laughs> for the
3: most part. it was I think it was Alicia's birthday. We went to Dry Creek, and we all sat around. We were talking about it, and they were just like, yeah, we're going to go do it. And I was like, you know what? Fuck it. I'll go do it, too. <laughs> and So, yeah. I didn't really know what to expect going into it, but I figured if I could push myself to my limit, I could find it. And I definitely did.
0: Do you think you did find your limit, or do you think it's still out there?
3: I think I found my limit To the point of no support so like by myself in my own mental state after doing a bunch of miles i found my limit at 190 in go Go groverton groverton yeah groverton hard to remember but at 185 i got off of a gravel road should more say sand road it was all sand it was like 1 a.m and i laid my bike down and i laid down in the middle of the road and i looked (laughs) up at the stars and i was just thinking about how i felt my legs were dead. My like, body was dead. My knees were hurting. Like, everything was hurting. So I was like, you know what? The next church I see, I'm stopping. So I rolled into Groverton, found a church, slept for like four hours. I didn't even roll out my sleeping bed. I laid out my rain jacket, laid out in the grass, put my fanny pack down, and passed out. <laughs> and I woke up at 6.30 on Sunday morning and was like, oh my God, I got to get the hell out of here. So Because you you're sleeping my, at a church. Exactly. So like everyone's going to be around me in like an hour. So I got up, got all my stuff together and did another like 70. And you weren't kidding when you said the last 40 would be the hardest because the first 20 of that 40 were hard. And then the last 20 of the whole ride were like mentally, I just was like, oh my God, so close, so close, like I'm getting there, but. Yeah, and then I made it.
0: Did you ever uh, go back and look at what church that was that, that you was, stopped at? Oh,
3: man. No, it was like a. I bet I could find it.
0: I'm curious. I, I, I like I to know all it. the churches. I could tell you one I day. One day I'm going to go back and count um, all the churches on the. I want to count all the churches and all the cemeteries. There's a ton of
4: churches on that
0: route. Yeah, yeah. I think it'd be fun to know. I tried to uh, count all the Trump signs. Um, that would be hard. No, I, that's what I thought too. Because uh, I drove the entire route, and there was only like eleven. Really? That's yeah. Did y'all bad. see many?
3: Not, not a terrible amount. I
0: it's guess not. not I think about it. I'm so used to seeing them. Yeah, I, I totally expected. it. I don't know if it's because it's so far out there. They're like, oh, I'm preaching to the choir anyway. You right. know, like, <laughs> I'm not gonna waste my money on a sign. I, I don't really know, but I, I was supr- I was like thinking it would be over a hundred. Yeah. You know, I I figured. Uh, Sarah was with me, and so she was, you know, taking notes and stuff. We were notating where the gravels are and where the camping, whatever, you know, what kind of sand, just all kinds of notes. Yeah. Where the dogs were.
3: Dogs. Uh, all the, the, dogs. Are, the dogs are relatively nice. Like, none of them actually went after you. But I like, had
0: a couple that were, like, pretty
4: gnarly. Like, one when I was, like, flying down a downhill, and it just, like, appeared next to me and scared the crap out of oh. me. And then I was like, oh, shit, there's a dog. And then kind of like made evasive maneuvers. And then on the other side appeared another dog. And so it was kind of like going back and forth,
0: like just screaming <laughs> down this de- dirt downhill. That was the only bad, bad dog. Well, you said the key word downhill. <laughs> yeah. So you had like a chance. Yeah. True I enough. I was
3: riding through the night on like I was trying to, that night I hit 190, I was trying to do 200 for the first time. And I was like, I can do it. I can do it. And I was going, I was on pavement, it's pitch dark and my light only really throws light like 30 feet in front of me. I'm riding and I'm just like in the zone and this black figure and like these green eyes turn and it's a dog in the middle of the street and it's like a big dog and he moves out of the way and starts running after me he like pulls into the middle of the street. I pass him and he starts running after me. It was like the scary. It was like I felt like I was in Harry Potter or something like there was a demon coming after me. It was just like this it showed up and immediately came after me only for like maybe a 100 feet but I was scared. What time was it? Oh man, maybe like... 12.45, 1.
0: On, on night one? Night two. Night two. Night two. So you were really tired. Yeah. You were really beat We did down. like one
3: seventeen the first day. And then I was with, I was like leapfrogging Alicia and Hannah for most of the day. So about one fifty, And then they were going to camp. I was like, I'm going to see if I can hit 200. And then that's when I, that was honestly the, one of the best parts of the ride. Which is like being by myself in the dark, in the forest too. Like it was, it was like one of the rougher roads I had seen. Like, big pits. I was laughing. I was, like, laughing to myself when I was riding. I was like, this is ridiculous. Because, like, I couldn't see exactly if I was on a hill. I knew I was going downhill if I was going fast. Yeah. I was just, like, eyes wide, just <laughs> cruising. It was a really good time, yeah. That's
0: one of the coolest parts about riding at night is that you, you can't, there's no way for you to know what's coming. You don't know if you're gonna get it uphill. You don't know if it's a big downhill, a short downhill. You don't know if there's a dog gonna be in the middle of the road. Like <laughs> exactly. there's so much stuff you don't know. And you didn't have a headlamp, did you?
3: I had a I had a light on my um you on my bike. But my yeah. But my headlamp wasn't working for the first and second night.
0: So my tip th- yeah, yeah, so no, not at all. So the problem with that is that if there's a dog coming or if you just hear something off to your side, it could be an armadillo. They make a lot of noise. They yeah. run away and you're like, mm-hmm. fuck, what is that? Yeah. It's just an armadillo it's making a lot sticks, of noise because yeah. they drag, you know, in the in the in the leaves and stuff like that. But man, if you don't have a headlamp and a dog is there, you're not gonna really see it. And it was a moonless night too. So that's exactly pretty what happened dark. when
3: I saw that dog. Like I couldn't, I couldn't see it ahead of me with my headlamp or anything. It was just it showed up when my when my bike light showed up.
0: Yeah,
4: I had the kind of inverse problem where my bike light went out on the second night. It just started failing, like, as I was riding on this trail. And I had a headlamp, but it was so foggy that, like, the headlamp was kind of useless because it was where it was positioned was the fog was coming at me and all I saw was just, like, a, a mist, like, just coming at me the whole time. So I could basically see, like, maybe three feet in front of me. And that was weird, like just very weird to ride through. I've never, the night riding in general was weird, um, but really cool. The super deep fog like was was really, really, really cool. It was the second night and I started riding at like 2 AM. And yeah, it was like, as soon as we started rolling a super deep fog. And um, like I said, my light went out on my bike pretty quick and put on my headlamp and made do with that. Um, whenever we would roll by anything though where there was like an, another source of light there would just be you know it'd be like a red light and like it would just cast like this incredibly eerie but beautiful light over all these scenes and so you're just rolling from like weird horror movie scene to weird horror movie <laughs> scene like over and over again and also like feeling sleep deprived and just being like wow this is this is kind of special cuz like
0: when when else do you get to do that yeah, when in life are you going to put yourself in that circumstance willingly? It doesn't happen very often. It's kind of the, I mean, it's the fun part about these. Yeah, totally. If it's a shitty weather weekend, you're just going to be like, eh, I'll just stay home, you know. Did, were there any moments, I mean, like when you're really out there and you're like sleep deprived and you're like really freaked out or was it always kind of just fun and interesting?
3: There were no points where I was scared to get hurt or like, there was a few sketchy moments on the bike in like, you know, going downhill fast. I did, You're like, oh, shit, I pulled that off. Yeah, yeah, it was, that was, <laughs> it was really fun. But um, I did like, I found myself doing like 32 miles an hour in the arrow bars going like down a gravel <laughs> road. And I was like, this is insane, but I'm going to do it anyways. Like this is, I'm just going to hold it because if I do anything else, I'm probably going to die. But no, nothing like fearful. And the, I mean, the dog was probably the spookiest thing that happened. But um, I was scared for my mental well-being the first day thinking it was going to rain all weekend because we went through all that mud and sand. And I was like, Oh my God, like that was really hard. Am I going to have to go through two more days of this? Mm-hmm. But then like everything cleared up at, at like mile 70. It was yeah. fine. And then we, it was fine the rest of the weekend. It was beautiful. That was great news to get this first morning. We woke up and checked the weather. It's like no rain. Yeah. yeah. Yes. No rain.
0: Yeah. But that day one of Friday Whenever I woke up at 530 and I just heard it, I was like, my heart sank. I was like, oh, no. <laughs> and I could tell it wasn't one of those, like, little rains. It was, like, dumping rain. Yeah. I went outside. The wind's not moving. I mean, it's just like, you know, there's it's not moving through. It's just sitting here. And I'm like, oh, fuck. Well, not here I'm we go. <laughs> Time to get on my bullhorn. Yep. <laughs>
4: Yeah, we camped out at the at the bar the night before, and we were camped out under, like, was it a tin roof? Pretty
3: much, yeah. And,
4: like, at 3.30 a.m., the skies just opened up, and, like, everyone just, like, shot up because like <laughs> it was like a bomb went
3: off. Yeah, like, it was so loud. Were you we all were camping in loud. the
0: front or the back? Uh, The back. The back, yeah. That's cool. He's going to open up that whole back area and make it parking for us and also uh, camping. Oh, sweet. Cool. So behind wait, there. Wait, is that the front or the back? I guess it's the front. That's the front. Yeah. Okay. We were in the front under the cover.
4: Yeah. In the back, they have another cover. Okay.
3: Got pretty good sleep that night. I don't, Nick,
4: I Nick didn't. said he did it. Yeah. I was, I think I was nervous and like just like going over shit in my head about the ride. Like, what sh- what should I take? What shouldn't I take? Blah, blah, blah. Yeah. It was all very last minute.
0: Now you rode with uh, only the front pack. Is that right? no insane pretty much pretty much yeah. well <laughs>
3: almost
4: i mean like the the guys who were ahead of me were ahead of me like they were
0: way ahead of me i didn't check the dots I guess we should say y'all were both on the showdown route yeah we were on the long route. for people listening i'll probably mention that in the intro too but yeah uh
4: we both did the long route and i did the thing that i normally do on rides where i go way too hard at the beginning and That led to me basically just being in no man's land for a long time. Like there was three guys who were going to win and they were like way ahead. I saw their tracks and I never saw them. And there were people behind me. And so when I would check the dots, I'd be like, okay, those guys are like way ahead. These people are way behind. I guess I'm just going to keep riding. Um, And then I eventually I did run into one other person, uh, Gary, um, very tall individual, six foot seven the 36er guy from Florida. Shout and out Gary. Yeah. Gary's awesome. We rode together for a long time. Most of the ride actually wound up riding with Gary. And that was actually cool. Like I, had, I thought I was going to ride by myself the whole time, but riding with someone else kind of like made it mentally a lot easier and then just kind of helped the pace, pacing a lot.
0: You have to find someone I think that's like the right pace whenever you do something like that. Yeah. Yeah. And- I guess that's kind of the way it works is if you just happen to be on the right pace. I think some people were riding together for safety reasons. Breaks one out. And uh, some people were just riding together for safety reasons. But if you find somebody that's on your same pace, it, it's a good morale boost. Yeah. Like when
4: it started, I kind of thought maybe I was going to ride with other people. But like anytime I would see someone, it was either them flying by me or me flying by them. So it was like you couldn't <laughs> really talk. And then ran into Gary and it became Evident very quickly that like we were pretty well matched because even though we were on like completely different bikes, like he was on a like front suspension, but like a lot of suspension, really giant bike with knobby tires. And I was on a pretty much like 43C roadish bike. Um, <laughs> but like the way it What worked, is it actually? Some people will know. Uh, yeah, I was riding a, a Rivendell Sam Hillborn. The more uh,
0: classy among us.
4: Uh, yeah, mm-hmm. uh, pinky in the air. You know, if, if You, you know, what I mean. if you know, you know. If you know, you know. Always, <laughs> uh, I, I try to make uh, Grant Peterson proud at all times, and I think I did. I was, I rode the whole thing in sandals because I thought he would approve of
0: that. <laughs> but yeah, like that I was, was wild. <laughs> That's cool though. I mean other people n- mentioned that, but that's kind of the one of the neat things about bikepacking is that nobody's going to look at you weird if you show up with anything. You, you could have been on a fat bike, a 36er, a Rivendell, wear sandals, you know, wear carbon cleats, whatever you want to wear. It's yeah. Fine. There was a bunch of Come everyone, enjoy
4: the mud. Everyone was doing their own thing and it worked out really well. But yeah, it was it was nice to ride with someone else. I would roll away on the uphills and then gary would catch me every single downhill and usually come flying by me well he's sure. like six seven too he's a big yeah dude. he'd get that momentum on the downhills and yeah. just go flying to think he weighed his
0: bike him everything he had oh yeah he
4: said his bike was like 45 pounds or something and mine's probably like i don't know 25 to 30 somewhere in that range yeah
0: he's got to have 50 pounds on you too yeah at least <laughs> or 40 i don't know because he's tall, not because he's fat. People, this is a podcast. Lean yeah. man. He's lean. a very lean and, lean and fit looking man. Individual. Very good looking man, I'd say. Yep, <laughs> indeed. Let's talk about what y'all's goals were going into it, especially never doing something like this before. Kyle, you want to uh, kick that one off? But I mean, I had some pretty—I don't want to say
3: unrealistic. Cause I think they're realistic in a sense, but for some reason, I pulled 48 hours out of the air and was like, "I'm going to try and do this thing in under 48 hours." And I kind of timed it out where if I go 10 miles an hour the whole time, 38 hours, if I take 8 hours of sleep, I leave me with 2 hours to like stop, mess with mm-hmm. things, breakdowns, whatever happens. And it didn't really work out like that for mostly because I probably stopped too much for too long, and then I also slept maybe 6 to 7 hours, so almost 8 hours, and I stopped at every town and almost every gas station, mostly because I was worried that I was going to run out of water, run out of food something along those lines. But I did not make it in under 48 hours. I did 54, which I was happy with. By the time I hit that 190 on the second night, I was like, okay, I could ride through the night. It still leave me with two hours if I wanted to sleep. So I made the calls like, I'm gonna sleep for six hours. I'm gonna wake up, do 70 miles, get it over with, and I'll finish when I finish. I was just happy to finish it too. Because it got pretty hot. Where did you sleep at
0: that second night? So the first night you slept at Salmon Lake?
3: Yes. And then the church the second night.
0: Oh yeah, the church. Yeah, yeah. The, way, the in Groverton. Groverton. Yeah. yeah.
3: It was a it was a quiet town. Yeah. I just I remember rolling into Groverton and it was like the last half mile and I was hurting. I was like, oh I just So need to you get were there. ahead
4: of me at that point then.
3: Yeah, and that was the goal. <laughs> that was kind of the goal that night was like, okay, I know Nick is like <laughs> mile what is it, like two ninety or whatever. I'm gonna go to like three ten. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna get past Nick. I'm gonna sleep for two hours. I'm gonna wake up and I'm gonna beat Nick. (laughs) And that wasn't the goal of the ride at all. But like, just deep down, I was like, I gotta catch up to Nick. But the thing was, is Nick started 30 minutes after I went to bed. So like, there was no unless I kept going, maybe I would have ran into him. Probably would have caught me.
0: Yeah, we've talked about this on the podcast before. But I mean, like, you gotta uh, turn your friends into enemies. Not really enemies, but just like, there's got to be some motivation there. And that's a great motivation. Right. Beat Nick.
3: Nick told me after the fact he was like, "Yeah, I was worried that you were ahead of me in the, in the, on the first day, but then I looked on the map and you were behind me, and I was like, I don't know when that happened. But I was happy to know Nick was worried because it's on my <laughs> radar for next year." Yeah, <laughs> yeah.
4: I thought I was going down. You. going down. I thought I was chasing you for a long time. Didn't see whenever I I went past. Had you fooled? Yeah, definitely.
0: So you were camped at the church, and you rode through uh, in the night. That night, I uh, camped behind a post
4: office in Ratcliffe, I believe. And went to sleep very early because I was just fried at the end of day two. Pretty much as soon as the sun went down, I went to sleep. And so I woke up and like Kyle said, I started riding like a half an hour after he went to sleep. And I guess just passed him without realizing it. because The
3: church was on route. So you were very, you, within a hundred feet of me. Damn.
4: Yeah. And um, the first night I think we slept in a, um, behind an abandoned building in Elkhart, which worked out really well actually.
0: What mile is that at? Like one
4: seventy-ish? No, no, it was like one. I did. It was about one forty. Yeah, like I did like one forty the first night, first day. One forty the second day, and then one hundred the third. And just kind of kept it simple. And I didn't really have any uh, specific goals going into it. I just kind of wanted to see how fast I could do it. I didn't have any numbers I was shooting for necessarily. Like I said, I. Never ridden this much. Like, I think my longest ride in a single day before this was like 130 miles. And at the end of that ride, I kind of started like hallucinating and like singing and yelling really loud. <laughs> um, so I didn't know what was going to happen at all on this, on this thing. And it was kind of cool to see like afterwards, like at the end of the first day, I uploaded my ride to Strava. And I was like, this is your longest ride on Strava. And I was like, cool. And then the second day was like, no, this is your longest day <laughs> on Strava. And I was like, "Rad, let's just keep going. Um, Should have kept going. Yeah, I know. I kind of, part of me wishes like I had pushed ahead. Like I know all this stuff I would do differently now. Like, but like at the end of the first day, especially like, you know, it was dark. We'd just gotten through a ton of like pretty gnarly sand and like, I didn't know what the next stretch between the next town was. I was like, if that's sand again, I want no part of it till the morning. <laughs> it, and then, like, whenever we did it, it, it wound up being pavement. And I was like, oh, I, I definitely could have done that. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so you just funny. like you don't know ex- necessarily what's ahead of you or what's to come, which is. Would makes- you have
0: liked it? I, I was almost gonna put uh, pavement and gravel marked on the route, and then I deleted it. I felt like it was too much information, you know.
3: It would have helped. It would well, have, yeah, it it helps, have helped, but does it sure. take away
0: from the adventure? Does yeah. It take away too much from like what he just said, you I, know?
4: I kind of appreciate the adventure factor, I would say. Like, yeah, obviously, like I would have done better with more information, but like that was kind of a lot of the fun of it, was just like figuring it out and like just kind of rolling with stuff. Like everyone had stuff pop up on the ride, like brakes went out, like Devices failed left and right. I got lucky and I didn't have that. But like I crashed the first day and like wound up like that affected my ride for the rest of it. But, you know, you just kind of like part of doing it is just like overcoming whatever pops up. And I think yeah. that that's important. Right.
0: That is the thing, right? It's just like no matter what happens, I'm going to get through it. I'm going to figure it out. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of cool stories about people that um, Derek, the one that um, went into that old house and got the spaghetti dinner yes and got like map quest printed out i didn't hear he he did like
3: 20 (laughs) miles off route or something
0: he did i don't even know they printed him up some route and he figured out his own way back but I'm interviewing him next week down in Houston. Huh. Cause uh that's what I mean, that's what it's about. It's like, I mean, I don't care that he didn't do the route and he's like DQ'd. Like, I don't care. I care that he went out there, he tested himself, he got lost, everything went wrong. He got creative, he figured out a way to find his way back and he never called me, didn't hear a damn thing about it. To a sitting there with a burger and a beer, you know? Yeah. I'm like, hats off, brother. That's how you do it. You know, that's what we're here for. You know, and some people had to get picked up, but I know, I mean, you know, it's not always able, you're not always able to do that, but that's the goal, right? No matter what comes up, I'm going to handle my shit. I'm going to make it back. Yeah, yeah, totally. That's the fun part.
2: Mm
4: -hmm. Like at the end of day one, I was texting with Alicia and I was like, oh yeah, I crashed. Like my ribs pretty messed up. And she was like, oh, you are going to pull out? And I was just like, I'm already like 140 miles north. (laughs) I don't really know how to pull out at this point other than like riding back the way I came. Like I'm just gonna keep going. And like that's uh, seems like the best course of action at this Let point. Let me ask
0: you all a question from a perspective of a participant. Um, I intentionally didn't put anything out there about me coming to pick you up or anything like that. What would you have done if there was a real issue and you and you needed I mean, would you just walk all the way back? Like what would you would you call me?
3: Um so that was my only question for you when I showed up. I was like, "Look." Oh yeah, you did ask. I me was that. like, "I got one question. <laughs> if my if my chainstay snaps, that's right. What do I do? Like, wh- where what happens?" And you were like, "I got my van." I was like, "Perfect. That's all I need to know. Like, oh, someone's yes, Raptor." Yeah, I was like, "I got no one to come pick me up." But if something to where I can't ride my bike anymore, thank you. And that's all I needed to know. And like. I, there was no other way that was going to happen other than my bike not being able to function. I'd have to like walk to the nearest road. Like if you weren't there, I'd probably hitchhike. Yeah. That'd, that'd be my first option. Yeah,
0: that's a good option.
3: Oh, Also, my phone was dead. So that night I went out, I was like, well, if anything really does happen, I'm just going to sit and wait until the next rider comes by. But yeah, that was a little scary. That's, yeah, that was scary. But not really. I was just like, you know, if anything happens, I'm just going to lay out my sleeping pad and I'm going to sleep.
0: It's interesting because it like now you realize how reliant you are on all those like technology and mm-hmm. having a safe safe this and a safe that and you take that away and it's not that far away. It's a thin veil to get to where you're like, oh shit, <laughs> what am I doing? Right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> what about you? Oh,
4: uh, I don't know. I think I got the impression from you that like we were out there on our own and like, like. There was no like supports <laughs> like you just like because you kept saying this is self supported yeah you're on your own so that's that was like in my head I was like okay if something happens I like I'm not gonna get picked up in the van like I need it so that was part of why I kept going um, but it was also like I don't know if something happened I, you know we talked to like people in every town that we stopped in and they were all super friendly and like I have faith that like if something had happened I could have you know most of the towns were within like ten to twenty miles of each other like get to a town and just talk to someone and they would help you out. I, I wasn't too worried about it. Like, yeah.
3: Um, Everyone was super friendly. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I don't know, man, I've been stranded in all kinds of places and had to rely on strangers. And, uh, those are the best stories. Yeah, totally. <laughs>
2: uh,
4: I've had that happen on bike tour before too, where stuff goes sideways and you hitchhike or like someone helps you out. It's, you know, it's the, it's happened enough to where I'm not worried about it unless I worry about it more when you're like out there, like in the desert, like, you know, I've never been, but like death Valley or like big bend or something where like,
3: there's no traffic. There's no towns. Exactly.
0: (laughs) Yeah. That's when things are very severe. The consequences are much more high. That's when you hit that SOS button on the tracker. Exactly. I agree with you. I think if you zoom out, what y'all tackled this past weekend isn't like that extreme because there's so many resources you're not way 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 out there There's other riders on course like you mentioned and you got an sos button like there's lots of lots of stuff but more of it is just like you know you're tired you're out there in the middle of nowhere and you're dealing with things you've never dealt with before and you get to try to like figure it out on your own and then grade yourself when you're done you're like hmm could have done that better. <laughs> that was an interesting decision. Yep. <laughs> like going to aero bars 32 miles yeah. down. And I know that one exactly. When you're just like, I don't know, man. This doesn't seem like a good idea, but I'm just going to keep holding on. And I don't know why. I was so jealous of
4: everyone with aero bars.
3: It was a good decision. I'm not going to lie. I've never done it on a bikepacking trip. I mean, I've only like played around with it because I was curious on what they felt like. So I'd put them on for like a 20-mile ride and like be in them and act fast. But yeah. I... See these like professional bike packers use aero bars and I see the efficiency and my hands already get numb on the bike as it is. My bike fit isn't exactly how it should be, but
0: Who who did the fit yourself?
3: Myself. Yeah, myself. Um That's how my fit is. I too. almost rode the It's the, a DIY. Yeah. I mean it works, my hands just get numb sometimes. So I was like, I'll throw the aero bars on. But the aero bars were actually really nice for the straightaways, especially on road, cuz my tire pressure was also super low, so the rolling resistance wasn't great, but getting the aero bars, especially on the descents,
0: I'd have to pedal and I'd still mm. hit like 25. Plus you can like eat, you can open packages and stuff.
3: I just strapped a water bottle to it at one point.
0: Yeah. it yeah. was a good idea. A lot, of, a lot of uses. What do you think would be the point at which you do and don't take arrow bars? Like what mileage? Ooh,
3: maybe like 200 miles. I feel like I could do 200 miles
0: in a day without arrow
3: bars. It depends on the terrain too. If it's like really chunky, hard gravel, I probably wouldn't take them yeah maybe regard like if it was the race was 99 percent gravel or like it was insane amount of gravel and not much road probably i don't know it was, it's my first time so it's hard to say if i would have taken him or not but after doing it maybe not because i only really used him on the road so i mean yeah i did get him in on the, the descents on the gravel and that was fun but <laughs> it was only really i felt like the gravel was smooth enough to where i could maintain it and not slip out or hit a pothole or something like that but
0: they're comfortable but they're dangerous.
3: My pinky is still numb.
0: From uh, the ride. From the ride. Yeah. My hands are my biggest. It'll come back. It's yeah, eventually. it's coming back. Yeah. Any other uh, aches and pains? We're so just for the record. Today's Wednesday. We wrapped up on Sunday, so we're just a few days after actually finishing. Um, yeah, any other aches and pains? I got a few. Um, I got a few. <laughs> <laughs> my
4: right Achilles tendon is super, super tight and painful still.
0: Is that from pushing through the mud or from riding?
4: I think it's from. A, well, so the f- first thing that started hurting was my lower nether regions pretty quick. Um, and so I spent. <laughs> it's always a lo-
0: fun to hear what terminology people <laughs> are going to use. I hear it all. That's
4: what I'm going with.
0: I heard a prune shoot on the uh, Facebook. Shoot. I've prune never <laughs> heard that. Yeah, it was a female that said it. About our own prudent shoot.
4: Yeah. <laughs> so I spent a lot of time like out of the saddle, just kind of like cranking the heart to, to not sit in the saddle basically. And I think that in combination with sandals, like just kind of put a lot of pressure on parts of my feet and ankles. So yeah, both my Achilles after the ride were like super, super sore. And the right one is still very sore. What else? Uh, Your ribs. Yeah. So yeah, I wrecked. Uh, my, what happened with the wreck too? It was really dumb. Uh it was it was like mile forty. It wasn't even gravel, it wasn't sand, it was like pavement in a town. I was like chomping on a bar and coming up to a four way stop sign and for some reason I thought I would like cut through a parking lot just to like cut off, I don't know, like five yards of distance. And it was when it was still like really pouring rain and I just didn't notice that like the brain, there was like a puddle covering like what was just a giant pothole. And I just like nailed it and went flying oh, and just like Supermaned onto my chest. And as soon as I landed, I was like, had the wind knocked out of me. and I was like, Oh, that hurts a lot. And did the thing where you're just like, I'm not even going to acknowledge it. I'm just going to get up and ride as fast <laughs> as I can. <laughs> and I didn't notice it for a while. Uh, but then, yeah, when I tried to sleep, I was like, Oh, that's, I've done that before. And I was like, Oh yeah, that's probably bruised. And Um, stopped at a CVS and got a bunch of, you know, extra strength Tylenol and was just like eating those like candy for the rest of the way. And then, um, was pretty much okay for the ride. Um, like some of the bumpier stuff was annoying, but then like when we got to the bar at the end and I kind of like had my first beer, I was like, Oh yeah, that's, that's going to hurt for a while. (laughs) So like, yeah, it's still really painful.
0: Would you do the sandals again?
4: Uh, I have mixed feelings about the sandals. I was leading up to the ride. I was like trying to make that decision. I don't know. I like riding the sandals a lot. Like I'll do long rides in sandals. I think for that long of a ride, I would probably go clipless next time. Um, you know, everyone's like, oh, cool. You rode sandals. That's neat. And like, that's such a <laughs> good, so cool. that's such a good decision. Cause the mud and the sand and like, you know, I didn't have wet swampy sock feet, which was cool, but I definitely could have gone faster if I'd had clipless shoes. I don't know. And your Achilles might not hurt. Yeah, I might have not have some of the pains I have now.
0: But I don't know what would happen with the pothole. Probably just would have racked yourself on the stem. <laughs> you wouldn't have been flying. You just.
4: I don't, <laughs> I don't even like to think about it because, you know, it's one of those things where it's just like, you know, when you make a dumb decision and you just like, you wish you could do anything to like undo that decision. Yeah, I'm really glad that I rode with sandals because it was, it was cool. It was fine and it was cool. And it worked out well
0: there you go let's talk about day one we haven't really talked about day one very much but it was kind of it defined the race like it defined the whole thing because i mean for people who don't know it rained for you know an eight solid hours and uh we got about two to three inches of rain at different parts of the course so i mean it was a a real factor people's electronics were dying people couldn't charge their iPhones like you couldn't charge yours brake pads were gone I mean like gone Sarah she was like texting me she's like my brakes are gone and I was like nah. and then I she, you know I was driving in the truck and right whenever she sent that I saw her on route I was like whoa so they're like, right well I guess that's a sign we'll like look, look at your brakes I mean her brakes were gone I was like oh shit. she was like 60 miles in no brakes so Kyle Start with you. Um,
3: it's funny you said that because I did the same thing to Alicia. Kind of, she's like, "Yeah, my brakes are gone." And Hannah said the same thing, but Alicia was like, "I cannot stop. Like, there's no stopping." And I was like, "Let me, let me see your brakes." <laughs> and I full grip both brakes, and there was nothing there. And I was like, "Oh my gosh!" Like, I'm sorry. Like, this is. T-. And it was at like mile sixty or seventy. But the first day, like starting off, waking up, it was already raining. Getting our stuff together, I had left all three of my pair of dry socks on the trunk of my car, so those are all wet from the start which I just had to deal with. And so I had one pair of dry socks that I was able to use at the start, but those got wet immediately. The first 70 miles, it was raining. And it was maybe 60% gravel, most of it. A good amount, it felt like a lot of gravel, probably cause it was just like really hard to get through, but it was sandy. And that was like kind of the first experience we got of like wet sand that your tires just like sunk into. You couldn't go really fast through, but you're putting out like, 300 watts just to go seven miles an hour through it just so you don't have to get off your bike and, like, walk through the sand. But once that was over and we got to our campsite and, like, things had kind of dried out. Wait i I'm not ready
0: to be over the sand yet. You (laughs) went way too fast through that (laughs) sand. (laughs) Um, How, uh, like, what was it really like? I'm curious. Two two questions. One, what was your mental state before you started the race and kind of, like, through that section... Because, I mean, really, like, man, it was a long time. Like, it was it was just, for people who weren't in it, it was one of those days where a, a huge weather cloud or rain system just sits right on top of where you are. And I looked at it on the fucking radar, and I'm like, shit. You know, I posted on Instagram. I mean, it's just over the entire course. And so, not only is it raining on the course, but it's looming over the energy it's like everything that you're thinking about so
3: everyone's at the start line just standing in the rain and we, i think we have like 3 minutes to go and we're just standing in the rain we're like all right we'll wait in the rain and we're just waiting and like in in my mind i'm thinking like i'm going to get wet i'm just cold right now cuz like i have my rain jacket on but this is going to come off and i'm just going to get soaked like i just have to accept that and I, i've had enough experience like hiking through the rain and biking through the rain that i can deal with it and just like be wet for a while, but um, if it like starts to thunder or lightning, that's when it really starts to get scary. But the first 30 miles, I was okay. <clears throat> I had to pee a lot because I drank too much water. Yeah, you got so that I was dealing with energy. that, yeah. yeah. So it was fine and I that's was like I comfortable in the rain. And then we were like getting tired on the gravel and the sand and just like getting through all of that. And uh, I honestly didn't know if I was gonna be able to make it. Like the first day was not sure because it was like like I said kind of before is if it had done that the rest of the race yeah like the, 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 the forecast was
4: like it's going to rain on Saturday too mm-hmm. a lot and so it was like and there was
3: already warnings of like I overheard someone say there was 80 miles of gravel somewhere and I was like oh my god and then there was also we were warned about a really sandy section towards like 170 and then a really really sandy like gnarly section you had warned people about months ago or like a month ago a while ago And I think I hit it that night, but it was just like a really pity, sandy road that would have been terrible if it was wet. It would have been just like picking up your 100-pound bike because it's covered in mud. I don't think it was that kind of mud, but that's what it would have probably been like. It's just like really cakey. But yeah, I didn't know if I was going to be able to make it after the first day. And then the rain cleared up, and we got good news that it wasn't going to rain, and it was just like... I think it'll work out. And then we got the gravel we were, I was kind of hoping for. Yeah. It was like nice, soft, smooth gravel.
0: It's just obviously the terrain, but it's like sandy. Then it gets pretty good. Mm -hmm. Then it gets sandy again (laughs) as you you come back, you know. Yeah. And so, but if you can get up to that, the good stuff, you're essentially riding to all of the best stuff I could find and then riding back and like the best way to get there. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) it's hard to find that much mileage, man. There's so many detours and roadblocks, and that's why it took so long to create the route. I mean, it is an insanely hard puzzle. I'm curious to get y'all's feedback. We'll come back to the rain. But uh, what, was your, what is y'all's feedback on kind of like the remoteness of the route? You know, like one of my goals was to get away from people and into the woods and, you know, only stop in small towns and that kind of stuff. Did y'all get that kind of experience, and did y'all enjoy that?
4: Yeah, totally. I mean, it was a mixed bag. A, a lot of it was extremely remote. Like the parts in the the national forest were felt very remote and um, where you were basically just seeing like few hunters and, and that was it. And actually like in one of the small towns, I stopped at a grocery store for a while and was talking to some uh, old folks there and they were, you know, they had no idea what we were doing. And they were like, Oh, are you riding your bike out here? Do you, do you have a follow car or like something like that? And I was like, no, we're on the back roads. Like no one, we're not seeing anyone out there. Like there's no one going to run over us. Yeah. Whenever we were between towns, you we were just out there. And I was surprised when I saw a car and, um, which was very, very seldom. So that part was awesome.
0: Our biggest priority was safety.
4: Yeah. above uh, all else. That felt great. And that was honestly one of the best parts was just like, cause after a while you're just like, oh yeah, I'm just gonna like, you come to expect it. Like I'm going to get out of this town and then there's going to be nothing. I'm going to have free reign and I don't have to worry about cars. And I just get to ride my bike.
0: Kind of a a fun way, I think, to experience like just an area because you start to like see how it all works together and you become very acute to, oh, there's houses are picking up. You're like, oh, okay, we're coming to a town and oh, we're leaving a town. And, Mm -hmm. you know, you see how it all kind of like fits together and you ride through some really terrible stuff and some really depressing uh, living conditions, and then you see like million dollar ranches or multi-million mm-hmm. dollar ranches, you know, and you see all that. And I don't know, you have time to think about it and like actually experience like all of it, mm-hmm. you know. That's one of the things I, I like about it.
3: I favorite was the double track, the like Jeep Road double track. Yeah. That was like, in, especially in the National Forest, that made me feel super secluded. It was just like there's only X amount of cars come through here every month or yeah. whatever it is.
0: That's some of the, I post a lot of those pictures on Instagram because it's mm-hmm. some of the best, beautiful, yeah. best roads. Out. I like that. And I like the uh, red dirt roads with the green uh, pine trees on the side. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, we don't have a lot of red dirt, uh, at least where I am in Texas. So it takes a big, so you got to clarify, but I love a lot of those roads, man. I remember when I was finding, I'm just like, fuck, this is out here. And a lot of, a lot of that stuff, especially around North, no one, I, I said this, it's never been touched by tires before. And if it has been touched only very lightly, <laughs> very lightly <laughs> touching, but I mean, you know, no like heat maps on it or anything like that. So a lot of that stuff, uh, I think that some of y'all are the very first people to ever like ride it. You know, I mean, it's really out there and mm. the more like North you go, it just, I think it becomes a cooler experience. Then you start working your way towards the bullet again. And you start to notice and that <clears throat> I wanted to spend more time in Sam Houston National Forest. Um, but what I learned is it's just too close to Houston. You got Houston, which is the Woodlands, which is Conroe, which is Willis, which is, you know, all the way up. And it's just too many people. And that's one thing that even though I've lived here a long time, you don't really know exactly how everything. If you're trying to make like a 400 mile race, like I don't know, you know, all this stuff. You right like a 100 mile section. But I learned that. Texas is very populated. It's very hard to get away from people. I assume it has to do with the fact that there's so little public land that people can go where the fuck they want to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, well, I don't want to be around you. Well, fuck you. I don't want to be around. I'm going to buy one over there. <laughs> and then they develop roads and everything else. And it's really hard to kind of mimic that remoteness that you can get in some other areas. So, yeah, that was one of the things that I wanted to do for, for this route.
4: Yeah. You did a great job. Like I was telling people when I went on bike tour before this in Vermont, Vermont was the opposite. It's easy to get away from people up there. Mm -hmm. Like you just take a right turn and you're away from people. (laughs) And when I would talk to people up there about my trip, I was like, yeah, where I'm from, this is hard. Like getting away from people takes a lot of planning and like a lot of work to like set up a bike route. Like, and don't, you guys don't know how good you have it up here. So yeah. That was one of the best things about this ride.
0: Yeah, thank you. Yeah, I think that was the hardest thing to achieve is uh, safety and remoteness were my two biggest goals. Third being off pavement, but y'all know there was a lot of pavement sections that were pretty sick, you know? They were sick. Yeah,
4: kind of like the second half of the ride, I'd be
0: like, oh, sweet, pavement again. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, people knock pavement, but if you got the right pavement, uh, so, it's yeah. like it's a salvation. Yeah. <laughs> oh, especially after day one. Oh, God. Yeah. Did either of y'all take any hits from day one? Your brake pad, your electronics?
3: Yeah. Phone went out for good. Okay. Replace is
0: it still out? I see you're I'd using one. I had replace it. You replaced your phone? You got a it was brand was new done, phone. Done. Yeah. yeah. Like
3: it was soaked. I found <laughs> oh, man, I'm like sorry, two dude. inches. This is no knock to Blackbird bags. I think it was user error. But it was like three inches of water in the bottom of my frame bag. And uh, I found out. That, like, the first night. Oh, and then I, yeah, okay, on the topic of what went wrong, <laughs> I tipped over my bike to try and dump the water out, and the water bottle in my fork fell out and broke the cap. Oh, no. So I had to take a plastic bag and, like, top the bag, screw the cap on, and just, like, stored water in it.
0: Wait, what? <laughs> so, like,
3: <clears throat> the, ca- the cap itself was broken, so I, like, yeah. condom the bottle <laughs> with a plastic bag yeah. and then just use the threads to, like, seal it. So the cap was broken, but the threads were still good. Kind of? Kind of. So I was able to keep it as like a water reserve in my down tube. And I never actually touched that water bottle. I had 32 ounces of water I carried the whole time. Oh, shit. And didn't even touch it. I would, I overpacked way too much.
0: Well, I mean, that. It happens. That's an interesting question, right? It's like, did you overpack or did you pack what you needed to do what you did? Right, you know, to feel or did comfortable. you stop too much? Or did that, st- that, yeah, is, that is. Well, I don't know. Well, you can answer the question. I know. How I bad
2: know. do you want? I'm it? still How? analyzing. It. <laughs> I know.
3: How bad do you want? It?
4: <laughs> well, yeah, that was the thing. Talking to the guys who won afterwards, they were like, "Yeah, we rode 200 miles before we stopped." And
0: I was like, "Oh,
4: yeah, okay, that's a strategy.
0: I <laughs> could do that too." that's what i did My the first one i did it was 190 that's the furthest i've ever ridden is 190 miles but it was my first night but it went downhill for there was like i don't even remember it's like 190 130 80. i don't know like went down and down and down it was like i killed myself that first night but yeah, you never know never know till you try right yeah so your phone is dead forever any other hannah warned
3: me hannah is a bike mechanic shout out to hannah she had her brakes start to go out. Alicia also had her brakes start to go out, and Hannah was like, "Be careful with your brakes because you're gonna shred your brake pads with the sand.
4: so is it just like I don't know that much? Is it just like using them too much and that shreds them?
3: It's like adding grit to your brake pads so you almost like put sandpaper in between your brake pads and yeah. not using them i mean yeah i use, i did, I tried not to use them as much, but the more you use them, the faster they'll wear they'll wear they will wear down.
0: you know whenever they do that wet sanding. Or they they do um, they have to saw through like metal and they like spray water on it mm-hmm. or something. I don't know. We have a saw like that here. Yeah. <laughs> Apparently, when you put water and sand together, it'll eat some brake pads. So we all learned a lot from the first year, myself included. Next year, I'm going to make sure everybody has a bunch of brake pads and knows how to change them because I don't know anyone, do y'all hear of anyone that brought extra brake pads and changed them? Oh, I brought some, but I didn't change them. Oh, well. I almost did, but we my brakes did go out. I didn't have brake. disc brakes, so mine were fine. <laughs> Got those rim brakes. Rim? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, okay, so we had three people with rim brakes. Guys, get gotta update the bikepacking.com article. <laughs> But the three people on rim brakes, y'all might have been the only ones that made it. I was worried going into it because like my pads were pretty low, and I was like,
4: shit. That's why I packed some extra ones. But yeah, I, I,
0: how, do, how do they handle? I mean, it's been a long time since a lot of us God, have I mean, used rim brakes. Everyone's like, breaks, oh, so. yeah, rim brakes. Oh, but you mud, dinosaur. sand, wet, all this stuff. So like, how were they? I mean, you had brakes. It was fine, yeah. And that's
4: the thing. It worked out fine. I was really, really happy with my setup. I did not have a lot go wrong mechanically other than my front light failing a little bit at one point
0: your front light yeah the dynamo
4: yeah the dynamo let me down for the first time and I it took me a while to figure out what was going on it was and I wound up fixing it but I was fine like uh, didn't have anything mechanical go wrong didn't really have stuff get wet electronics didn't fail I was in sandals so I didn't like and like Kyle I was like I'm just gonna get wet and it's fine and um, like I got wet the first day and then dried out and I didn't bring a lot of stuff to go wrong. I feel like because I I was went very minimal. Yeah, like did not take anything. Did not take a lot. <laughs> I had one. I had a front bag and that was it, pretty much. And that was like my sleeping setup, and then just a bunch of food. And
0: that's all you took? Did you get a repair kit?
4: Not really. I mean, flat changing kit and brake pads.
0: Yeah, that's pretty much <laughs> it. It was just kind of like
3: extra extra uh, master link.
0: No your wow. hanger. No.
3: You had to have a first aid kit.
0: No. No. There's CVSs on the way. That's that's true. uh, Did you bring somebody to do your dishes for you while you're out on course? uh, I wish. I
4: wish. I tried to get Gary to do it, but he he wouldn't do it. (laughs) (laughs) Gary. That was my strategy as far as my strategy went was like, don't take a lot. Just go really light and just power through. And, um... Honestly like I think I I probably would take less next time than I did like I took more sleeping stuff than I had originally planned just because like when we camped out the night before there were a ton of bugs and stuff and I thought it was going to rain a lot more than it did so I took like a full tent yeah whereas originally I was just going to take like a, a pad and that was it
3: Did you bring any food with you for like starting line
4: Yeah I brought that was a lot of my weight was food and I didn't I, I brought like probably like 12 of the same bar uh-huh. Uh, and I, I didn't eat them all because I got so tired of them mm-hmm. by like bar five. Yeah, that's rough. And a bunch of like, yeah, little shot block things and,
0: and uh, little energy things. But um, Yeah, that's rough, man. I think that's part of the hardest part of doing these endurance efforts is fueling yourself. Yeah, I didn't want
4: to eat when we were on the route, even though I knew I, I needed to eat. You're just forcing yourself.
0: It's like a job. Yeah, it's weird. It's kind of the unfun part of it, I think. So
3: I tried something new this race. I, mm. saw, I saw a Tour Divide documentary once where this guy was balls out, going through the night, sleeping as little as he could, not stopping, and he used a carb supplement where it was basically liquid calories. He put it in his bottle, and he would drink as he went. Spez? Something like that, yeah. So uh, Ultra
0: vegan or whatever his name is? Yeah,
3: maybe. I don't know his name. It was a while ago, but it was a very faint memory, and I looked up, like did a little, very little research on it. But I got enough under my under my belt to know that it might work, and I tried it out. But I also had food with me, so I did like half that and half food.
0: What actually is it?
3: I got it from GNC. I don't know. I went and talked to the nice lady at GNC, and yeah. was like, "Hey, you did some squats, I'm doing this race, and I just need to there like. There might be
0: some steroids in there. Maybe <laughs>
3: you know, don't don't make me do a pee test, but. Uh, no. Um,
0: <laughs> Sir, I'm going to have to pee <laughs> in this cup.
3: It kind of it took away my hunger. So, like, I was feeling empty stomached or, like, I had a lot of crackers. It's like the majority of what I ate was just, like, crackers. What? Yeah. I know. Like, every gas station I stopped at, I bought, like, two boxes, two packs of crackers. And I would just throw them in my frame pack. And then by the end of the race, I had, like, four ba- packs of crackers still left over. And I was just, like, cracker hoarding. <laughs> Do you have any
0: dietary restrictions? No. That's just what you want to eat, spez and Yeah. Yeah. I, <laughs> I mean like crackers. I brought
3: canned tuna with me at one point, but I, I kinda threw that away because it was I tried to eat it the first night and it did not go down well. Not like I didn't throw it up, but like just not what I wanted. Yeah. And then the second day I was like looking through my bag, seeing what I could get rid of, and I was like, the tuna's gotta go. Like there's just like too much there. It's like just a it's it's gotta go. So I t- threw away the tuna. I kept around the crackers as I do. And then I had protein bars and uh yeah, I didn't use all this, the 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 carb supplement I had, but it still kind of worked. I had it as like kind of a backup, but also like if I felt hungry in the moment and I needed like legitimate like different vitamins and minerals, I would drink like half a bottle.
0: I've started eating a lot of uh, really healthy smoothies till about almost like five o'clock every day. All I eat is smoothies, but. I, it seems like it would make a lot of sense because it's so easy to digest. You know, you're not putting like heavy food on your stomach. Mm-hmm. So I like the idea of it. I'd have to try it though. But I get mouth fatigue a lot or ap- what do they call it? Mouth fatigue, appetite fatigue. It's it's like where it's, you can't like stomach it. Yeah. Yeah. It's just like you're eating the, the bars. That, he's yeah. got like 12 of them and you you get like, I can't remember what it's called. Well, I
4: kind of like switched to like anytime I was in a stopped at a gas station and they had any food that was like, prepared at all I would buy it and eat it so that led to me eating like some really really dank like chicken tacos and like egg rolls and like those Hunt Brothers pizzas and like but that actually felt great like that was kind of the only stuff I could really like enjoy eating along the way
0: that definitely speaks to me man that's where I've landed on a lot of this stuff is I don't I mean you also carry less stuff but if you go into a place like that that has, like, a sandwich or a pizza or something like that, get one for now, wrap yeah. one up, throw it in your frame bag, have one for later, and then you're eating, like, I mean, it may be gas station food, maybe not the best, but it's better than that bar or the can of tuna or whatever that's in your backpack. I tried to do bag. that
4: on day one. I thought I was being smart, and I ordered an extra, like, sausage, egg, and cheese biscuit from the bar before we left, and I put it in my uh, handlebar bag. But I waited too long to try to eat it. I waited till after the mud, and when I pulled it out, like the mud had just like oh. soaked in through like the the aluminum foil. Oh no! And I was just like, I had to just chunk it immediately. Oh. I was, it was really disappointing.
0: I can't remember. Uh, there was a couple that was on the route. They wound up pulling out on day one, and I don't remember their names. But um, when I was on, taking pictures along the route, she was riding by, and she's like, "You want a kolachi? <laughs>
2: it's like.
0: I th- actually, I'm not supposed to be offering her anything, but it felt weird that she was offering <laughs> me something. But I'm like, sure. <laughs> so I eat her kolachi and it is full of sand. No, <laughs> I mean, I'm just like, oh, <laughs> I'm like yeah, she got you.
3: She was like, yeah, here's here's some yeah. sand for. Me.
0: Hey, I, I and that's why I didn't spit it out. I ate that sand kolachi. I ate all of it. I ate the sand. I. I deserved it. They were great, though. I wish I remember their name right off the bat. Uh, they were all smiles. That's something that I um, I really appreciated was that everybody kept uh, good spirits throughout the whole thing. Before it started, day one, I know a lot of y'all were faking it, but you got to fake it till you make it. And then, you know, all the way to the end when you're, like, in pain and everything else, you're sleep-deprived. Everybody was happy. Everybody was having, like, a good time. Nobody brought any like negative energy or anything you know it's like i was worried man as as a race director man i was not terrified
3: what did you think the worst was gonna like what was the worst thing that could happen at the start line was like pack a racer show up is it like no one shows up that's (laughs) probably terrifying no i'm just kidding
0: oh my only i just wanted people to be safe and have fun those are like those are my only goals if everybody was came back safe and everybody and even if they didn't have fun that's on y'all but uh (laughs) (laughs) fair enough most most important thing is is safety the worst case scenario is is, you know whether a dog or a car or something i mean just something a wreck i mean that you you wrecked i mean you could have got got hurt um yeah, that would have been on you. I wouldn't have felt too bad. That was <laughs> totally my fault. <laughs> <laughs> Should have I'm seen kidding. the puddle, man. I don't know, man. I didn't have any like specific like worries, but um I put a lot into it and I didn't want to any, let anybody down, you know, yeah. like and it became more and more real the closer it got. You know, it's like anything else. I don't know how y'all are. Maybe I'd say it's like anything else in life. This is the way I live my life. It's like, I got this idea. Why don't I throw it on bikepacking.com? <laughs> Oh shit! Now it's like happening. Now there's a hundred people, quote unquote, coming, and you know you got to like do it. And once it, but that that's just kind of the way I work. And that's well, it motivates me. It's like okay, now I have to fucking. It's like why my taxes are due in ten days, and like why I'm just now working on it <laughs> because it's like it's gotta it's gotta like matter almost.
3: Do you think people uh, didn't come the day before because of the rain? Do you think yeah. like yeah, yeah,
0: but I don't think too many. We only had forty seven like fully registered. And there might have been some people who were gonna fully register, you know, the night before or the morning of, because that was an option. We didn't anticipate too many of that, but it was certainly an option. And they were probably the ones that were like watching the weather a little more closely. But we had forty seven registered, forty people started and twenty six finished. Which I think is really good for Mm -hmm. a first year. And to be honest, I didn't, I was really happy whenever there weren't that many people coming, like when it was because it was a free event. So, Mm -hmm. like, I'm not like, it it was like a lot. It was a lot of work. It was more than I was anticipating, but I was trying to be, I'm glad because, like, Nick, you wouldn't have been in if I didn't open up the waiting list. Yeah, totally. Me too. Yeah. I was on the waiting list. Y'all were both on the waiting list. Yeah. Yeah. People like, yeah, it's crazy though, because we had, a uh, hundred people like register but yeah then it, only, it
4: filled up fast it filled up so fast and yeah my experience was kind of similar to yours from the other side where i was kind of like i signed up and i was like oh yeah what the hell and then the closer it got i was like oh shit i'm doing this yeah that's kind of scary uh i hope it goes well and i don't die
2: that's
3: all that went through my head the week before it's like <laughs> this is gonna be crazy i hope i'm ready do i have everything let's see how it goes
0: so, I mean, you're three or four days from finishing. How do you feel? What are your thoughts on both y'all, whoever you want to start? But yeah, how are you feeling about yourself, your accomplishments? And do you think you're a badass yet? <laughs>
4: no, I, I feel like I'm still processing it in a way like there's the initial like kind of happiness. Like I did it. Like I finished this thing. It was a a much larger thing than I I've done before. Um, so I'm very happy about that, but there's a lot, I feel like where it's still kind of going through my head and I'm still thinking about it, trying to like, there's all these levels. There's like the one level where you're like just trying to remember everything that happened. Like, Almost as soon as it's done, we're, like, trying to tell each other stories. And it's like, what town were we in? Like, yeah. who did we talk to? Where was it? And it's all kind of, like, slipping out of your brain immediately. Yeah, that's crazy. And you're just really trying to hold on to it. So I'm, like, trying to, like, kind of catalog that so I can remember it. And then there's the whole just, like, oh, that was crazy. Am I going to do more of these? I don't know. Like, it's probably not going to be any more in Texas. So, like, got to gotta go somewhere else and, like, really. You do mine again. Well, yeah, that's, like, a whole long way away like I'm talking about Zoom. No,
0: we're doing one in the spring we're gonna talk about that next
4: okay Um. well yeah that sounds fun as hell Um. I, I would actually I would like I would like another shot at the course like honestly just to like you
0: know use what you learned and
4: like figure all that stuff out
0: what would you do differently what would you take or not take what would what would be a different approach see the cool thing about doing it in the spring is that you'll have the cool weather to train through you know, yeah, and now, and the race is still kind of fresh, so for people who have done it, I think it could be kind of interesting.
4: well, I guess the first thing that I should say is I finished ten and a half hours behind the person who finished ahead of me, the third place person, <laughs> so I have a lot of ground to make up.
0: <laughs> um so you finished fourth?
4: yeah, and you were sixth mm-hmm. or, yeah, but I yeah, I think I would just try to ride a lot longer without stopping. Like a lot of it, I was kind of scared to do that. I was just kind of like, I don't know what going to happen if I go too hard. Now I'm like, oh, okay, I could probably do that. I could like ride more like a 190 or something in a day or, um, and I would not take all the same brand of bar food. Um, I, I would change up my eating a lot. I would, uh, I might not ride a, a full steel bike. I don't, I don't know. <laughs>
0: do you have another bike to ride? I do,
4: actually. I I would need to put it together, but I have like a cross bike that's like a rocket ship. It's not super comfortable, but it's so much faster than the one I'm Mm. I'm on.
0: So that's interesting. Like you just participated in your first ever like bikepacking race. I mean, on a Rivendell with sandals and a, you know, an ultra romance-esque, you know, front bag. Uh, And you're already thinking, okay, build a rocket ship, push my limits. How fast can I go? kind of fun i like it yeah i like that it, it opened up like a door a window of possibility whereas like before you're like can i do this i don't know yes i can that was fun how, how far can i push it that's yeah. what it kind of sounds like
4: totally totally yeah it's, i dig that that's as soon as it the race is, was over it's just like oh yeah i could have gone faster in this way this way this way this way and just kind of start naming
0: yeah. them off in your head i'm so happy to hear that man you know to like I really wanted this to be like a gateway drug into bikepacking for people. And whether you race or just like go out and realize that you like can push your limits, but there aren't a lot of these shorter races. And so where do you start? On the Tour de on the Colorado Trail, like our Arizona Trail. It's like, I don't know. I love the idea of being able to like give a give like an opportunity to people to like just be like to try it, you know? Yeah. And we had so many people that just were like, okay, that's a distance I think I can do it. Plus we have a lot of people in Texas without a lot of opportunities. Mm-hmm. And that was a big part of it too is like I've shat on Texas more than just about anybody <laughs> for our lack of public lands and all kinds of, you know, stuff that I could, we could gripe about. But I'm like, you know, I'm here so, might as well like do the best I can while I'm here, and uh, you know, try to try to make the most of it. And the reality is, man. Well, one thing I learned about this from this weekend was just how fucking awesome this community is. But also, you know, everybody on route, all the Texans, all all the people in those rural communities, everybody walked away with a really positive experience. You know, nobody mm-hmm. walked away with any any issues. Everybody walked away, and and that's just better for. Humanity. It's better for cycling community that we interact with people, and they're like, "Oh yeah, that weirdo on a bike over there." I I saw a guy like that last week. He was riding through the thing, and, you know. He's like, "These guys are crazy," you know. And think about a Bullet Grill, you know, like mm-hmm. all those rednecks that were there, you know. And they're like, "Wait, you're doing that?" And I'll tell you what, man, that owner and his wife and everybody they were watching those dots. He would come over. He's like, "Hey, who no we got come in?" And, he he was like breaking down the splits and everything nice. like they got That's they got cool. into it you know
4: i was really surprised about the dot thing and how much people got into that cuz like i didn't even tell any i told like four people about the dot thing cuz i didn't think anyone would be interested and um someone posted it on social media and i just started getting messages like on day at the end of day 1 just like i'm following you you're doing great and i was i was like oh you care like uh this is great um and it was super uplifting and
0: like that's wild i had the exact same experience when i did that five mile 500 mile race that five mile race but i'll tell you what (laughs) came in last place on that five (laughs) mile race (laughs) yeah you post that link and you're getting messages throughout the day and night from random people that you know and don't know and you're like, hey man, you're doing great. And for me, those are huge moral boosts. To know that somebody's like watching your dot and is even a little bit invested in what you're doing. Totally. Uh is a is a huge motivation. It was more than I
4: thought it was gonna be. Like I got the first messages, they popped up on my computer, like on course, and I just like instinctually just started going faster and attacked the dude who was right next to me. And I was like, <laughs>
0: Oh shit. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> oh that's funny whatever well, reminds- my andrew Honorma was like racing alex and then he's like what am i doing i'm dnf'd like <laughs> he's like making the guy next to him push faster than he needs to and he's like not even in the race but whatever pushes you yeah you didn't even like know what dot watching really was i did I, i'm a hardcore dot watcher i
4: well that's the thing i had tried i guess i never watched anyone who i was emotionally invested in watching like i had a an acquaintance do, I think, the Silk Road race last year, maybe two years ago, and he's like, oh, here's my dot. And, you know, I watched it for, like, a day. I was like, that's cool. You know, you're doing your thing. And I, I was bored, so I, I checked out. Um, and I thought that's how everyone would be. Um, and I didn't realize, yeah, once you put the emotional connection to it, however that is, whether you know, you're know friends with that person, your family with that person, or, or you're just into dot watching. I don't know.
0: There's a lot uh, of dot watchers out there. Yeah. yeah. Uh, a lot of people that really, like... I don't know, man. Like my they, friend was like, "Oh yeah, we we put it on at the
4: bike shop I work at and we're all just no watching way. your dot." And yeah. I was
0: like, "Y'all know they had it at the bar at uh, bullet." Really? Yeah, in not outside but inside they had it uh on the big screen above the bar so everybody could watch it. That's so sweet. It's pretty great. I love That's it. It's awesome, man. Was anybody reaching out to you besides your mom and dad? Well,
3: uh my phone died.
0: Oh yeah. So that was Back one of the, to that. that was one of the things I <laughs> <laughs> When did your phone die? Like just early like, on day 1?
3: Hour 4.
0: Oh, God. Yeah,
3: like, four hours into the race, I went to check my phone at a gas station, and it wasn't coming on, and then it came on, and immediately shut off. And I was like, hmm. So, yeah, it was done, like, hour four. But, like, day two, I had no communication, and it was, like, kind of nice. I was like, wow, no one can reach me, no one can call me, no one can talk to me. But, like, day one, all day, I was like, man, I really want someone to text me and be like, "Hey, you're doing great. I'm uh-huh. watching you. I wanted my sister to call me. Like, I wanted all these like all these pe- people in my life to like tell me I was doing great." But then it was just me and the bike and the woods and the road. and It was just like pure. So that felt really good. I was trying to turn around like not having that yeah. support into something great. And it kind of worked out. Like it felt it made me feel good about not having any contact, but yeah, you're I don't like think a I would have done
0: man. You're basically like in the wild, wild west out right, there on right, your own. Yeah, you're like, just, I'm a
3: cowboy. Exactly. <laughs> when did I become a
0: cowboy? I got a map. I got my food. I got yeah, a I light. Got, I got a mat to lay down on. My steed. Yeah. We're gonna go. <laughs>
3: yeah. So <laughs> that that was kind of tough and nice at the same time. But um, I wish I could have talked to my friend or had my friends support me. I know they were. Don't get me wrong. I know they were like at home. Oh watching no! But the get it like while you're while right. You're right.
0: Rolling. What were you navigating with?
3: Uh, Wahoo, and it actually kind of shit on me at 175 when I was trying to go for 200. I was on a gravel road, and there was a T, which I knew <clears throat> it was like one of the yellow roads, so I knew it was, a, it was a paved road. And I was like, okay, my Wahoo isn't tracking my miles anymore, but when I get to the paved road, I'm going to check and see what's happening. So I got to the paved road, checked my Wahoo. It was still at 175, and my little dot was like back off the paved road. So I made the decision to stop the Wahoo, save it, restart it, and start the miles again because I didn't want to keep going. Hope it would pick back up and then pick up like six miles later, and then I'd be like seven miles out mm. of mileage. So I was like, yeah, I could have the 200-mile record, which I didn't even make, <laughs> or I could just track all my, my all my miles. So I went with the mileage, but, yeah, that was kind of – my Wahoo has done that in the past. I did a backpacking it tripping.
0: unreliable.
3: Yeah, yeah. Some of them are really good. Some are really bad, but mine's gives me problems probably
0: Andrew, once a month. I mean, Andrew, the reason he DNF'd because his Wahoo. Mm-hmm. So. Mine
4: on day one almost made me miss the turn pretty early, and I was flying down a straight That's when he passed me. Yeah, and I just looked over, and Kyle's like, he made the turn. I was like, oh, shit. And I was just like, I would have just kept going like into the distance otherwise.
0: So that was very fortunate. Nice to you in Louisiana. That? Yeah. That the only time it happened on you, or, okay. yeah, that was it. Thankfully, Kyle, what would you not take? What would I not next take? Time? And then, and, and are you? I mean, that we turned him into ultra racer. Pretty much, Leo Wilcox is gonna have to be looking at Yeah, did y'all see Leo Wig- Wilcox? Uh, commented, she's like, ooh, I'm no gonna, way need to come and do mm. this one. Yes, she was committed to this first one. No way, yeah, she was uh, uh, she she uh, was supposed to come, but she had a better offer to like. Switzerland. Yeah. Like well, uh, next go, year. Go to Switzerland. Switzerland. If you're listening, it's like please Texas come next. Of Europe. It's yeah, it's fine. Year. But yeah, she uh, I I really I would think it'd be cool to get get her down and throw down a fast time.
3: I was I was thinking about her for inspiration during the trip. I was like, what would she do? She would keep going. Yeah. She wouldn't stop. I'm like, yeah, okay.
0: Well that's the cool thing about those beast. stories that I do talk about on the podcast is using, you know, those like inspirational figures and these like super athletes as like a gateway drug to mm-hmm. be like, okay, I just want to harness a little bit of that, you know, and mm-hmm. like find my own little Leo Wilcox or Andrew Onomar, whoever, you know, some of these fast people out there. It's just like, uh, it's like, you know, the marathon, the three-hour marathon, and like one person broken, and then everybody else says, like whenever you know that other people can do it, you're like, okay, I just got to tap into a little bit of, little bit of that. Mm-hmm. Um, what would I not bring? Man, so much.
3: Um, so much. I wouldn't bring... A bike. Um, yeah, a bike. I probably would only pack my frame pack, less food, probably less water, because I only used that 32... The reason I had the 32-ounce bottle on the bottom was mostly for, like, me not worrying about running out of water, because there were times I would get low on both bottles. But mentally, I wasn't worried because I knew I had the third bottle. So maybe I would bring it again. Maybe I'd bring a smaller bottle. I wouldn't bring... Probably as many socks. I literally only <laughs> I literally only used maybe the same pair of socks. I couldn't tell because they were all wet all the time. Dude, so, no socks. Sandals. No, no socks. We're doing sandals next time. I had two snack bags. I probably could have only gone with one. The other one was just kind of like hold my battery and snacks, really. But my bike was heavy. It was 45 pounds loaded down with water. Yeah. It felt heavy for sure. Yeah,
0: it's probably heavy for that length of a ride. Mm-hmm. Yeah. My
3: fanny pack was too big. <laughs> it's, it's also ginormous. Like, it's an eight liter fanny pack made for, I don't even know, but I had it on the first day and I was so leaned over. The last time I used it was on a mountain bike trip. So I was like stood up, but this time I was leaned over and the, it kept digging. The belt buckle was so big, or like the snap buckle was so big. Every time I lean over, it, was, it would weigh on my back and it would like pinch my stomach. So I ended up just tying it to my seat pack and it would it just live there for most of the trip. But I would just hoard things a lot, I felt like. There were like two points in time where I had to stop, unload a lot of my things, throw away a bunch of stuff. Cause like, I was just like carrying like the tuna and like sausages for some reason. It's like, <laughs> I've had these for a day and a half. I don't need these anymore. Just like living in the bottom of my frame pack. But I guess organization is one of the things I need to work on, but yeah.
0: Well, the less shit you bring, the less you know. You need to be organized. I just need the handlebar <laughs> bag. That's all I need. Yeah, I don't know. I like having all the stuff that I want, but yeah, 380-mile race, not too long. And there's a lot of resupply on route, so mm-hmm. you can really kind of rely on those resources and, and not necessarily your own. What was y'all's favorite part of the East Texas Showdown inaugural event in 2021?
3: My favorite part of the East Texas Showdown was finding my limit. That's one of the biggest reasons I came out. I wanted to see how far I could push myself in one of the most beautiful areas. I also had never seen East Texas before. Like I'd, I saw it during the East Texas Showdown. And I really did truly find my limit of how far I could push myself with the amount of energy I had and I'm ready to keep going and keep doing more of these events because this was like one of the things that kicked it off. And it was a great event because it was it was a good like starter pack. It was 380 miles. It wasn't 1,200 miles. It was 380 of like hard, beautiful gravel pavement, like very doable for someone who's in shape, who's committed and like dedicated to riding their bike. It was perfect. It was great. And I loved it every part.
0: So you're coming back.
3: Definitely. In the spring awesome. too. You just let me know.
4: My turn. Yes. Yeah, Nick. Best thing. I mean, I kind of feel like first I'll say like, Everything he said was good, and I agree with that. I really liked the course. The course was great. Like, it was just really well set up. It was really well thought out. You got to see a lot of beautiful things. You were out there. Again, didn't have to worry about cars almost at all, which is about all you can ask for in Texas. Yeah, just all those national forest roads were, were fucking great. I, I just had a really, really good time on the course. I really enjoyed it, and that's that was my favorite part, just the way it was set up.
0: That's a huge compliment. Uh, my favorite part. I'm just so glad and grateful that everybody had a good experience, had a good time. That the route was good. Like I'm, I, I was stoked on it. You know, I put a lot of time and effort into it. I'm like, I'm pretty sure this is good. <laughs> but you don't know. I mean, someone can come from, I don't know, all over. You know, and have different e- e- perspectives and be like, well, that was shit. You know, and really walk away with a bad experience. So. I felt really fortunate I was like on cloud nine the whole time because everybody was so cool. I'm just like a regular dude that likes to ride bikes and made a route, you know. So like uh, I don't have any anticipation that just because I did it, it's like it's going to be good, you know, like it has to be good. Mm -hmm. And uh, the fact that everybody had such a good time, uh, everybody came back safe with smiles on their face, brake pads or no brake pads, I love getting together uh, at the end and just like listening to everybody's stories. I think that's the biggest thing or one of the thing. I don't know, I won't say it's missing. Every event's different, but that's one thing that I wanted to do with my event was allow everybody to come and celebrate each other and congratulate each other and tell your stories. And almost nobody showed up to an empty finish line. There was like a few people, <laughs> but Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> most people like I, I said in the backpacking.com article that gives me uh, motivation for next year because my goal was to be there for for everybody that finished what is the best month in the spring to hold the East Texas Showdown I'm like looking at dates I'm about to announce a date but I have to decide on one first what month March you mean
4: as far as like
3: March, is, my birthday's birth in March
0: Temperature. Are you talking about weather? Weather weather's the number one.
4: Oh yeah, March. Like sometimes February is fine, but not always. So I would Could say March. Cold.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I'm thinking March. Just gotta pick the right weekend. Yep. Okay. Just do it. Yeah. Uh
4: when um South by so we can get out of Austin for that. That'd be great.
0: Oh, you want to get out of South by for Austin? I gotta
3: work as a pedicab driver. Right? Oh, okay. Yeah. Not South by. I
0: I'm ha- not ha- I I'm not like gonna do way. it on South by weekend because actually a guy from Wales, I think he's wanting to come in. He had a rodeo lab being shipped to him, and it didn't get home uh, to him in time in the UK. Anyway, he's coming the weekend after because of plane tickets being so expensive. Like plane tickets are expensive, hotels expensive, mm-hmm. travel is expensive. And that was a really good point. I'm like, I'm really glad he told me that because I was actually going to do. I don't, I don't, I don't follow ACL um, personally. So I was like, I'll just do it that weekend. That's a great weekend. Yeah. And then he mentioned that. I'm like, eh, okay, so we might do the weekend after ACL. Yeah. Yeah. That, I think it's like the third weekend of March is is kind of what I'm thinking. Nice. Hopefully not too rainy. Is it going to be a different route? Same route? Same route. I mean, I think, you know, we're going to do an exit survey and we'll you all be getting an email. Can but we do it the other direction? Ooh. Yeah, th- my uh, original idea was to allow racers to pick which yeah. direction which direction they go and I would still like to do that. Didn't do it for logistical reasons this year, but I think in the future I think do it. So what did y'all think about the death loop? The last 40 miles. You, Dude, it you, was, you oh hated it. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, my God.
3: I thought, I thought I you was were great. Joking. No, yeah, I thought you were joking. When I heard you say, like, on the podcast, you are like, yeah, last 40 miles is going to be the hardest. Last 40. And I thought you were meaning it was only because you had to pa- pass the bar and grill. But it was, like, mentally, physically the hardest 40 miles of the route because you had to go up. Yeah, I know. I know. It's, it's No, we
4: had different experiences.
3: Yeah, I, you had to go up and down, like, rolling pavement hills, and my legs were already shot. I was taking, like, I put, like, two Advil down before I started the 40 miles. And I was going up and down those hills, and it was just, like, grueling. And then I hit gravel, and I was happy to see it. I was like, all right, it's got to be smoothed out. Like, it's got to be flat. And that was pretty flat, but it was also, like, another 20 miles of gravel, and I was just, like, going. I was just tired. I was just so tired. Yeah, I was done,
0: and I was ready to be done. So, like, going past the bullet. Was that the thing that mentally fucked you for the last forty? Because I don't think the last four miles are challenging. Forty miles. Right. I think it's mentally that it becomes challenging. It was. It was passing the bullet. It. I think it helped because I passed the bullet and no one saw me. I passed going
3: like waving my hand and I was like, "Well, all right, just forty more miles." And I was like, "Get down!" I was like, 40 more miles. Just forty I, more miles." I
0: will say about that one thing I learned about being an event director is that spot tracker is not not reliable. That accurate. Yeah, I mean, it's like. It's like, oh, we updated a minute ago and he's like right here. And then we'd be like, fuck, he just passed. <laughs> you know, it's like, no, it wasn't right back there, you know? So we learned through experience, that you got to be out there a little bit sooner. And some sometimes we'd be out there and we'd wait for like almost an hour for people. Wow. You know, because we were like so off and sometimes we'd miss them. I think it was good that no one was out there because I probably would have been like,
3: please, ah, please. What
0: we, what we would please. do is that when people came is uh, – actually, Alex started this. I thought this was great. is like we can't stand in the bullet parking lot. We got to go on the, on the other side of the street and be like, yeah, come on, you know, like cheer people to keep going. But if you want to be done – the people that wanted to be done, they were just like, Pfft. there I'm was good. no yeah. stopping them from going to the Bullet.
3: It was a different experience for you.
0: I, I
4: enjoyed the last 40 miles. I thought it was pretty sweet. I,
0: did you have someone to cheer you on when you went by? Nope. Okay. No.
4: We, uh, I was <laughs> so riding, that wasn't the difference. I was riding with Gary at that point, and we, uh, we, we planned on getting breakfast at Bullet because we thought it was going to be open at 7 like it was the first day. I was like, sweet, we'll refuel at the Bullet. We'll In get, the
0: springtime, it will be. Okay, cool. They, we already talked about extending yeah, earlier and later for the menu. Yeah, I
4: really could have used a, a, another sausage, egg, and cheese biscuit. But, mm. yeah, we showed up, and they were just like, the workers were getting there, like, we're not open yet. Like, yeah. right. But one of the ladies who worked there, she was like, don't worry, I'll flat the tires of the next people who ride through. They won't get by here. And I was mm-hmm. like,
1: cool. Mm-hmm.
3: Uh, that was probably me. Yeah,
4: maybe. may have been. <laughs> but it was fine. Like, kept riding, and I really enjoyed that last part. It was like it was early morning, like it wasn't hot yet, and it was just kind of like rolling, which is, that's my jam. Like,
0: Yeah, nice mixed terrain. Yeah, some good climbs. Makes it interesting.
4: Real pretty, and then um, Cold Spring. I, I knew Cold Spring because I used to do, I don't know if they still do, but they used to do a road race in there, which I went to years ago. Um, so it kind of brought back some memories just riding through that town and um, really enjoyed the Sam Houston National Forest part. And then that last hill snow hill part, I still had some energy left. And so I was like, I'm gonna use all of my energy now that I have left in my body for the last five miles. And I just went as hard as I could for the last five miles. And it was actually my favorite part. Probably my, that was my favorite part. It was just going, cause before that I'm like, okay, I'm just pacing myself. I'm just going, going. Yeah. And the last part I was just like, I'm gonna rip this last five miles up and just finish strong. And it was so fun.
0: Yeah, that's interesting because when you're pacing for an endurance event, the whole idea is that you're managing their, your resources, mm-hmm. your your energy, and all this stuff. You're like, I need to have enough to get to the end. Yeah. But once you're close enough to the end, you're like, All right, let's see. Let's see if there's Go anything left in there. Yeah. Yeah. You can blow up and, w- and walk to the end. Yeah. I think I know your answer on the death loop. Yes or no to keeping the death loop in the East Texas showdown? Yes. Yes. Yeah. It I,
3: adds to the challenge for sure. Like, I think The it's extra... Fun. The extra like I, st- I, just a little bit, I talked yeah. to one
0: person who will remain nameless at the
4: end, and they were like, <laughs> "I got to the bullet, and you know, I didn't." And he was way ahead of me. He's like, "And I, I just didn't want to do the death loop, so I stopped." And I was like, "Why would you stop? Like, that's the best. You just do it. Like, it's, yeah, like, you've already come this far. Just knock it out."
0: Yeah, but if you don't want to, who cares? Yeah, that's fine. Yeah, you know, that's that is kind of the cool thing about the route is that you know, if you said, like, I've said in the beginning, but if you or not this podcast, but other ones, like. If you sign up for the slowdown and you're like feeling good and you want to do the showdown or vice versa, you want to do the death loop, you don't want to. For this event, I'm not going to put a high priority on who was the fastest. In fact, as we go along, I want to celebrate, find ways to celebrate, yeah, you went fast, and we should respect the fact that, like, you went light, you went lean, you didn't sleep. Like, that's fucking cool. But we should also respect and, like, celebrate people who were out there for four days or, you know, whatever. And I want to find ways to, like, whether it's who took the coolest picture, who had the coolest uniform, the best story. I don't really know. Did anyone stay out longer than the time? Katie McGuire, our Lantern Rouge. Do you all know Katie? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So uh, I'm interviewing her tomorrow at 11 a.m. And uh, she had some stomach issues. So she's pretty good in shape. You know, she's been riding her bike a lot, especially with being off work and. Yeah, she just had some really terrible, and I don't know, we'll find out tomorrow when I podcast with her. But
3: When did she get in?
0: <clears throat> uh She got in like at 10 p.m., so right after, you know, the party was at 8, and she got in 10 p.m., wow. and a lot of people had cleared out. But there was still a nice little group there, and so we were able to, like, chat with her. All she wanted to do was stop moving. She was like, <laughs> I just want the world to stop moving, and so she just sat in a chair, you oh. know, for— for a while and sat there and then she was fine I checked in with her and that's good yeah she was fine I'll have stomach bugs alright you got a doggy I do have a doggy what kind of doggy do you need to go see she's
3: a blue healer lab mix little 45 pounder she Aww. fits in my backpack on rides she also so chases cute. me on my mountain bike She's she's a real trooper right on yeah
0: well, thank you all, gentlemen, for thank you. Uh, podcasting with thank me. Thank you for having us. And uh, more than anything, I really appreciate all coming out to the event. Be kind of silly if nobody showed up. So
3: <laughs> We'll see you in March. Yeah, man.
0: Hell yeah. Possibly thank, March. Thanks for putting it on. Oh, yeah. It's going to happen. Peace out. All right, everybody. That is it for today's episode. Next week, I have Katie McGuire on. Uh, I met Katie, gosh, how long ago was it? I met her a while ago, like eight or 10 years ago, at a six hour uh, endurance mountain bike race. And uh, yeah, it's pretty interesting. We followed a similar trajectory in our uh, cycling. You know, we were both kind of into the endurance mountain biking stuff, and then we got into the bike packing stuff. She did about five months of traveling on her bike before coming to the East Texas Showdown. She showed up with a lot of fitness and high expectations. And uh, well, I'll let you tell, I'll let her tell her story to you next week. But uh, she was our Lantern Rouge for the 2021 East Texas Showdown. And uh, if you're not familiar with Lantern Rouge, it's a nice way of saying that she was last place. It's a French saying, I don't know exactly what it means, but um, it's really a, tier, a term of endearment. Um, So we had a great chat there in Austin, and that'll be coming out next week. Until then, thank you so much for being here today. I appreciate it very much. If you enjoyed this episode or if you enjoy this podcast, please consider signing up to be a patron. I got a lot of people at the race who asked me what they can do to help support Bikes for Death, and Patreon really is the best way. Um, it gives me a little bit of guaranteed income every month so I know what's coming in and it allows me to budget, pay for hosting, podcasting, traveling, and if money is left over, maybe just a little bit of whiskey money too, just to ease my pains at the end of the day. <laughs> if you'd like to help me produce this show, you can find out more over at patreon.com forward slash bikes or death. And while we're talking about ways you can support Bikes for Death, we've got some new merchandise available in the store. The landscape design t-shirts are backed by popular demand. We've got the black and the gray available in all kinds of sizes. So if you want one of those, go check them out. And uh, what else do we have in there? Just the regular odds and ends, to be honest, but we did order some titanium cups. Uh, We got more of those coming in and we've got some other goodies that we're working on. Also, while you're feeling shoppy, and especially as we get into this holiday season, Um, we've set up a bikes or death affiliate program over there on the website. There's a nice hyperlink at the top that you can click on. And there's a lot of outdoor vendors, outdoor websites, where if you use those links, bikes or death will get a small kickback. We've had some people been using those and that's greatly appreciated. And there are a shit ton of options. Let me pull it up real quick and I'll read off just a few. Uh, We got like Patagonia, REI, Umbra's sunglasses. Those are the sunglasses that I've been rocking. Uh, Even bike flights. If you're shipping a bike and you need to do a bike flights order, we got one of those. Uh, Backcountry.com and more and more and more. So like I said, if you are feeling shoppy or needing to buy some stuff in the outdoor industry Uh, that's a great way to do a little shopping and also support your favorite podcast all right everybody i appreciate you all very very much thank you for tuning in to today's episode i will catch you next week but until then don't forget to ride your damn bike you load up your
2: bike you ride away from home you could be with your friends or you could be alone you ride for day or maybe more you just love being in the great outdoors everything you need is strapped to your bars, including that new pillow you got from santa claus and then you think oh shit to yourself you left that super lightweight tent on the living room shelf bikes